and welcome to another episode of Stamper Cinema. As always, I'm your host. My name is Andrew. Thank you very much for downloading this latest episode. We've got a good one for you today. I'm really excited because we get to talk about District 9, which is one of my like top five favorite science fiction films to come out over the past 10, 15 years. I know that's kind of like a very, very specific top five, but whatever. It's a very specific movie and I love it. And if you haven't seen it, you need to get on that shit like immediately because it's it, it's a fun ride. And today, the guest that we have to discuss it with is a a paleo fiction author and natural history uh, geek as in his own words. That's that's that, those are his words. I'm not just going to call him that. But uh, no, in all seriousness, we've got Lindsay Kinsella uh, joining with us. And Lindsay is a very, very gifted author. Uh, right now, you can find the the Lazarus Taxa out available, and he's got a, a brand new book that he's going to share with us uh, in our conversation a little bit later. So be on the lookout for that. Of course, I will have links where you can find Lindsay's works, and definitely take a look because he's got some pretty cool shit, and I'm really pumped about it. And so I can't wait to share this conversation with you. So without further ado, let's just bring Lindsay on. Lindsay, hello. How are you? Hi, Andrew. I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for actually reaching out. Um, you know, I, I in the outset of my in my my introduction, I briefly uh, discussed um, who you are, what it is that you do. But for the listeners, if you wouldn't mind taking a little deeper dive, who is Lindsay Kinsella, and what do you do? Uh, so I am a, an author. Um, I predominantly write sci-fi and fantasy. Um, I have a, a novel already available called The Lazarus Taxa, which is a sort of tale of the first ever expedition using time travel. Um, and I have a, a novel which is soon to be released within two weeks of recording, possibly released by the time this goes out on air, um, called The Heart of Pangea, which is a, a sort of fantasy novel where a young girl and her imaginary friend venture into a fantasy world that she kind of invents in her mind. Um, and yeah, a lot of a paleontology focus on my books. I like to look at dinosaurs and, and natural history and, and use the modern science to to sort of reinvent it to the reader. Sure. And I'm I'm sure you get it a lot, but what is it about uh paleontology that you're that you yourself are attracted to? I think it's the sort of it's 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 almost the sort of magic in terms of uh, compared to other sciences in the sense that you know you, you can't do much in terms of experimentation to to be sure that it's right everything's always um kind of, this is this kind of detective work mm -hmm. try and piece together a picture from you know millions of years ago and it's that sort of mystery element to it you know we know that we'll never know everything yeah and just 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 every now and then getting that extra little piece that extra little piece of the puzzle um, it's like it's almost following the science of paleontology is almost like a really good fantasy series where you get a little bit of an answer every time, but but seven more questions with every answer. Yeah. What was your like your introduction to it? I mean, what I have to say about the, the Lazarus Taxa is, that, I mean, you've taken two things that I love, which is time travel and dinosaurs. So, I mean, what what was your your in for that? What was it that your the inspiration to kind of focus on that obviously sci-fi covers a myriad it, i mean it could be a multitude of different things but you're harnessing on something very very specific so i'm kind of curious to know what your origin story 
before that is? I, th- I think it sort of came in, in two two waves, really. And I think that the first was just sort of frustration at popular media and how it hasn't really evolved with the science in the past 30 years or so. Um, and and I think the second was was COVID and, and the inherent boredom that came with being stuck inside all day. Um, so I, I sort of decided that, well, if, if no one else is, is going to kind of bring this, you know, all this new science that we have and, and put it out there and it is, you know, screaming for some good fiction to be made from it. If no one else is going to do it, then then I'll give it a shot. And yeah, um, that was what, three years ago now, and it seems to have stuck. I do have to ask. So you said that COVID obviously played a part in in this. What were you doing before you got into into writing? Um, I've, I've I've sort of dabbled in a lot of things, and then I tend to stay dabbling in those things and just have too many things to do. But um, <laughs> I've I've always had a huge interest in in cars, and I. For, for years now, and I still do run a, an events business where we organise kind of classic car shows. Okay. Um, and I I have a, a classic car myself, which I have for the past couple of years. Um. So that's that that was sort of taking up most of my time pre-COVID, and then obviously you know events couldn't happen over COVID, so the writing kind of replaced that for a couple of years. And of course, now I just do both and have no free time. But it's mm-hmm. been- <laughs> now you said you have a classic car. What type of what type of classic car do you have? It's a it's an MGB, which is an old yeah. British sports car, um, which are actually I gather quite popular over in the states. I think they're actually more common in America than they are in Britain. Very well, maybe. Uh, I was born and raised on the island of Bermuda, and my father, which I mean, Bermuda is an English-owned, um, you know, uh, Commonwealth. And my father, when I was a childhood, after my parents got divorced, he treated himself to a, an MGB. So uh, that's what I remember, like very, very early memories of my father with a black MGB. And there wasn't any backseat to speak of, but somehow he was able to get himself my oldest sister who would have the front seat and then my slightly older sister myself we would i don't i don't even know how we made it work but we were i don't know and i don't know how we did it but i mean we were very very young but just going around the island on uh his uh i, I couldn't I, I off the top of my head i don't know the year but imagine it would have been the 70s or um early 80s or what have you of the the mgb that he would have had himself but then he Got remarried and had to had to had to part ways with uh with his MGB. So I have a I don't know a little uh love a love affair with uh with MGB. So I, I think that's great that you've you've got one yourself. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just a lot of fun, really. And and yeah, absolutely, the back seat is a token gesture at best. <laughs> um, I do I I do my six year old fits in the back relatively comfortably. My my ten year old hits his head on the roof, so um. Yeah, it's tight. <laughs> yeah. Now, what? Obviously, I wanted to. I want to talk a little bit about District Nine, obviously for obvious reasons. But what for the the readers of your your, your novel that is available now? What what can they expect? What, what what's something that you can tease that the the listeners should be on the look for? Something that you know will will sell the story more than just time travel and and, and dinosaurs. I think for the Lazarus taxa, the, the the key sort of selling point for me is that mystery element. Um, so 
you know, yes, the the the, the expedition team that we follow um, travel back in time to the Cretaceous period, and there are dinosaurs. But I think the the really intriguing element comes in the fact that it quickly becomes apparent that they're not the only people there. Most of the 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 sort of story comes in slowly unraveling that mystery and finding out who is there and why they're there and um you know how how sort of sinister their intentions are i haven't i haven't read it yet but i am i'm really looking forward to checking it out so this introduction was really fun for me this is also kind of like my own my my own cheap way to educate myself on on on, on books that i haven't come across yet that definitely piqued my interest <laughs> so i'm i'm jazzed about it. are you a big dinosaur fan yourself Oh yeah, I think I have been since I was um, sort of a small child. I think a lot of people tend to grow out of the dinosaur phase, and I just never did. Um, <laughs> we it's, locally. It's, oh, go ahead. You know, it's it's quite a it's quite a common question, particularly amongst sort of um, you know readers that they tend to ask. You know, how 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 long did you research the book? Uh, and I said, well, I started researching the book about twenty years before I knew I was going to write it. So um, I sort of have a, a long background and just obsessing over million year old reptiles yeah what's your what's your favorite dinosaur uh oh i'm, I'm gonna go relatively obscure on this one but um, i think my favorite would be carnotaurus um sort of a to, 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 to most people would probably look at it as sort of a tyrannosaur with horns but it was it was built for speeds which i find really interesting uh, what about it specifically? Is it just the kind of like the Tyrannosaurus with kind of like the the built for speed with horns? Is that what uh, your or was there something else about it that you're like that's 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 my go to dinosaur? Well, you can always edit this out if I get too geeky with this. I'm trying to hold. No, not, like here. right now you're speaking my <laughs> language, Lindsay. I mean, this is this is my shit right now. So, <laughs> so there are there are two things that I find really interesting about Carnotaurus. The first is. Um, sort of simultaneously how much we know about it and also how little we know about it. We only have one fossil specimen of Carnotaurus that's ever been found, only one. But the one specimen is remarkably well-preserved to the point where we know what colour its skin was. We know that it had a, a reddish tint to its skin. We know that it had um, scales with, with sort of what, what were called nodules, kind of big, big lumpy scales along the side and rows, like, like scutes. Um, and because it's so well preserved, said kind of in position, you know, we can see it was built, it's, it's, it's got, you know, legs built for speed. But at the same time, because there's only one, there's so much other information that we have no idea about. Mm -hmm. We don't know, you know, where the social, what, what sort of life cycle did they have. We don't even know, you know, what, what period of time did they exist. We only have one. We know when that one lived. When did they first appear? When did they go extinct? We don't know. We don't know. Um, part of the trouble of only having one specimen, even though it's such an amazingly good specimen. That is very, very like poetic and also very mysterious as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, now I want to know more about the dinosaur itself. I, I, this You mentioned it being a little bit obscure. It's the first I've ever heard of it. Admittedly, my dinosaur knowledge goes to like what what I was taught in schools and, and of course, Jurassic Park. So. Um, but this this is great stuff. So uh, let's this isn't even remotely a natural segue, but let's segue into talking about mm -hmm. District Nine, right? I mean, this is a movie. This was a selection that you had. So what is it about District Nine that that appeals to you? What do you what do you 
What do you actually, let's take a step back. So you said District 9 is a movie that you want to talk about. Do you feel comfortable introducing what the movie is about? Do you want me to uh, take a crack at it? Or do you, you know, like, what do you, how do you, how do you want to proceed? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll, I'll have a crack at that. Yeah, you, you can always do it again if it's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, yeah, District 9 was was my choice for a few reasons. I'll, I'll give a sort of synopsis of what happened. So it's, it's set in Johannesburg in South Africa. And the, the concept is that this giant alien spacecraft appeared on Earth, um, or more specifically, above Earth, and it just kind of sits floating above Johannesburg. And upon sort of investigation, it turns out that the, the aliens on board are kind of without leadership, without food, they're sick. Um, you know, this isn't some sort of invasion force. This is, uh, it becomes a rescue mission, effectively. And then what we have is what's effectively a refugee camp for aliens. And it's sort of about how the society in South Africa grapples with dealing with all these aliens, um, and specifically follows, you know, one of the the team members whose job it is to to move them to a new camp. Um, and it's just it's such an original movie, and mm -hmm. it's got so many aspects that I, I don't think I've seen in other movies at all. Certainly not combined. Um, and yeah, it sort of has something to say as well, which um, and, and I know a lot of movies have, but it's, that adds to it. Yeah, I mean, you're you completely like nail that, right? The you do you get this you get this spaceship that just kind of is there, right? And you've got these aliens that are all sick, and uh, and then the, the locals really want nothing to do with them. And then you've got this whole obviously without even I don't think they're beating around the bush. I mean, they're definitely taking like little nods and mirroring like discussing discussing the whole like apartheid movement of the like the 1970s and 80s. I mean, that's a big theme that we're that we're getting within this movie. They kind of intercut some of the stuff that are, you know, dealing with even the Zimbabwe ref refugees. And I mean, you get you get a lot of rich themes going on in the movie. What I'm always fascinated by. It, it's almost some people's critique, but I, I kind of like like we never know like why they're there in the first place. Right. I mean, some people can say that is a critique or a, like a pitfall of the film. It's never discussed like why they're, why they're there. I don't think it's, I don't think it's important. I don't think that's the story. This movie is remotely interested in. I think there is a story about humanity that exists. And I think that might be one of the most central themes because our like a protagonist is, uh, not a big fan of of the of the the alien species, as most people in this film aren't a fan of them. And they're, you know, you see these alien species; they're they're young, killed, and it's kind of like snickered at, and it's no big deal, and we don't really give a shit. Pardon my French. And it's not only until something horrible befalls our our central protagonist that he then begins to see he becomes more of a human. As his humanity is, or like his actual like physical human elements are stripped away from him as he is turning more and more into an alien, which I find really, really um, beautiful. I don't know, it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if it was Kafka, I don't know who wrote it, but like Metamorphosis, where basically this guy becomes a cockroach and it becomes kind of like a burden to his family. 
in um I, I think that's that might have been I don't know who wrote it. Um, but I'm I just wanted to say Kafka. It could have been anybody. I don't know. It could have been Dr. Seuss for all I know. But uh there there is a lot going on in this movie. It does make this movie very special. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think that's you know, it's one of the hardest things to do. I mean, looking at it from a, a sort of writer's perspective. It's one of the hardest things to do, but I think one of the most interesting things to do to take a main protagonist who is sort of uncontroversially an awful person. You know, I don't think anyone watches District Nine and thinks that that Vickis is in any way a good guy. He's he's truly despicable, and he he doesn't even fully come around on that. Mm-hmm. You know. Maybe at the very, very end, but it, it it's a real knife edge to watch to, to to walk to write that character and still have him be just relatable enough that you care. Mm-hmm. Which I think you know, just just as a writer, I think that fascinating that they managed to pull that off. That's like one of the I think from my own perspective as uh, a viewer. Now, on a writer, I wish I could write characters as rich and unique, although also equally despicable as Vickis. But I think that is kind of like something that we naturally, as viewers, are willing to go on this journey. Because we we know any film that you watch, there there's going to be an element of change, right? I mean, we whether it's a character like Vickis or whether it's uh, Edward Norton's character in American History X, I mean, you are given people that are purely despicable and are capable of doing really really horrible things but it's that it's that change it's the the learning that that the, that character goes through that audience members are willing to go along for whatever journey you want to put them if if the story that we're watching is compelling and if the narrative structure is placed in a way that we're obviously understanding that the character that we're following isn't a good person or isn't really uh doesn't really um have the the perspective that we find admirable, but we know that with place in within this world that there is definitely a change that's going to take place, and that's that's fundamental. I think in any good piece of of art, uh, and I think and and whether it, you know your hero's journey story can be a, a likable character, but I, I do find myself attracted to stories where our central character doesn't do things the way they should and maybe sometimes they learn it maybe they don't at the end but um i don't know i'm i'm, I'm very very fascinated by by kind of anti-heroes in a way and even though he's not your classical sense anti-hero there is something very much about thickest that does embody that kind of that kind of trait so i think you're definitely right on the money on that definitely and, and i think obviously we spoke about how it has a, a sort of less than subtle um comparison to apartheid and, and you see that quite a lot you know at the very beginning we have you know sort of humans only signs showing up on things which is very sort of strong parallels to apartheid i think i felt i mean i, I don't know if, if this is maybe a cultural thing and, and maybe that comes across in the, the states as well but from someone in the uk we have you know constantly on tv you know talk of of, of an immigration crisis and a refugee crisis and um, the sort of dehumanizing of of refugees, and I think that it, it strikes very strong parallels with them. You know, to me, the District Nine felt very much like you know a, a sort of 
refugee camp. And I think really the, this story of Vickis is, is really just to show that it, it just takes a little misfortune for anyone to end up in that position, you know, um, because much like the rest of the, the society in the movie felt that they were, you know, above the aliens and they were they were better and they had the right to treat them however they wanted. And then one accident and he, he's, he's there and he's one of them. And I think that's quite an important sort of message that it's, that it's sending, you know, that sort of situation could happen to any of us. Yeah, Lindsay, I completely agree. Now, for for those of it that have been listening for the past 20 minutes or so, we, we briefly discussed what the plot of this movie is. As a reminder, District 9 was a film that came out in 2009, and it was uh, directed by Neil Blomkamp, uh, produced by Peter Jackson. Many of the, the listeners will know him from the, the Lord of the Rings, as well as myriad of other, uh, in my personal opinion, better better works. I, I, I love myself some... Uh, some uh, horror Peter Jackson films, but uh, had a budget of around $30 million U.S. and grossed over $200 million um, U.S. worldwide. Critically well-received. You're looking about on the Rotten Tomatoes aggregator, you're looking about 90% uh, critic approval, audience not too far behind at 82%. And if I recall... I think this movie was even nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture, which I don't really, I, I don't often think of many science fiction films that get that honor, to be perfectly honest. You know, you see genre style films, they, they're, they're, they're loved and they, they develop these cult followings and they u- are usually used as inspiration for other filmmakers. Uh, and they have very, very long uh, lifespans beyond uh, the festival circuit. But in this case, this, I, if memory serves, this was actually a, a sci-fi film that was recognized when it came out and was nominated for an Oscar, which I think is pretty good. So there is something very, very different about this movie. And I, I don't think it's just the, the mockumentary style, which is kind of cool. I mean, this is a movie like structurally, I often talk about from like a writer's perspective and looking at it as kind of like from a hero's journey. And this movie has kind of like two inciting incidents, you know, one taking place 30 years before our story really even begins, which is the spaceship, you know, just planning itself there and just kind of hovering. And then obviously what happens with uh, with Vickis. But there. I'm not going to say this is a simple story. It's very complex, but at its core, I mean, it is just a story of. Somebody finding humanity, really, in in many in many respects. You know, I I don't know if, uh, if, what else you get thematically that that stands out that resonates with you. I know we've kind of covered a few things loosely, but what else? What else about it? What what makes this movie so special? What make this movie like resonate when it came out, be recognized, and still continues to find audiences a good 10, 15 years later? I think you sort of nailed it to an extent. It, it is very much a, a kind of a tale of redemption, really, in a sense. Um, whether you could really say that Vickis is redeemed by the end is, is questionable, because we see him do some pretty horrific things. I mean, he burns down a house of babies, effectively, at the start, which is um, sort of the defining Vickis moment at the start. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's there's so much. There are the themes. I think there's the, the style as well, and what always 
what always catches me off guard about the style is how seamlessly it transitions from being a mockumentary to mm-hmm. being a sort of standard sci-fi action film to the point where watched it I don't know how many times I've watched it now it could be double figures I still couldn't tell you at which point it changes I couldn't tell you where it changes over. at some point in the middle of the film you realise ah it's not this mockumentary style of it anymore mm. I don't know how they did to this day I don't know how they did that it's yeah. such a seamless transition um, but that makes it it makes it feel real I think that's that's possibly the what, what that style really achieves you know a lot of science fiction feels very fantastical it's it's in the future it's in space it's you know or it's a sort of even my own it's some sort of wild concept like time travel district nine feels like it could happen it feels real nothing about it seems outlandish you know yeah. there's there's one principle that this spaceship turned up and everything beyond that is like yeah yeah that that could happen and you know you, you almost start to forget that it's a movie um i always find that the at the very end when it cuts back to the sort of documentary style and the main character uh, sort of the, one of the interviewees starts asking the question you know what will happen when he comes back and i always find myself thinking what will happen i need to remind myself it's a movie it's not real mm-hmm. <laughs> um so yeah, it really, it really grounds it, and I think that's what then makes the themes and the message that it's sending all the more powerful. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the ending is fascinating, and not to get into the the talk that we always have, like the natural discussion of sequels. I mean, for years they've always been talking about the potential of making this a sequel. What I like about this movie is kind of that. Well, what if the the unknown. Sometimes I think movies that can have one of those, um, what's the word, um, undefined endings. I don't know. I think it's kind of, I, I kind of like the idea of, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what, what this would mean. And does this mean that Vickis, does he return? Does he get to, are they able to zap him and he becomes a human again? Like, I don't know, like all this, all these type of things, but I'm not, I'm less interested in that finding out definitively versus what I'm more attracted into is what my, where my brain naturally wants to go is what does that mean? You know, without actually getting it is sometimes your own imagination is uh, often better than, than the, than the reality. Right. But I mean, so we talk about that a couple other important themes in this movie naturally, you know, we, we, when you're having a cold conversation about like apartheid, which this movie not so subtly discusses, I mean, you have the issue of racism, you've got the issue of xenophobia, um, which they kind of use with the, instead of just us, you know, again, you mentioned like refugees, you know, instead of it just being somebody from a different country, now it's somebody that's a different species. I mean, they're very belittling of the, the alien species, reducing them to essentially, uh, 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 prawns. Sorry, but I couldn't, I couldn't remember what they were called, but yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's quite something. And I remember the first time I saw it, it I, I won't say that I had, it was like an out-of-body experience, but I, you, you know when you watch something, this is different. There's something very inherently special about this movie that separates, I mean, like the cream rises to the top, right, to use a, uh, um, a cliche, but there is something about this movie that 
that it is more and the way that you establish that it's set in a very, very realistic world, despite the fact that they've got these very futuristic weapons. Another thing that's never addressed is why do these alien species have these really cool ass uh, uh, weapons that they seemingly don't have any real intention of of doing anything with? Um, it, it's there's just so many questions, right? I think that's even one of the lines in the movie that, you know, the, the questions of like District 9, right? The, the, I don't know, there, there's just a lot to piece together with this film, but it, it's such a enjoyable ride and it makes for such great rewatches that you can pick up like little nuances here and there and just a really great debut film by the director as well. I, I actually, until you said that, I had no idea that was his first movie. Um, that's quite remarkable actually um but yeah I, I think i think my my opinion on whether or not i i even want a sequel has sort of changed over the years i think when you know after first watching it i'm like it sort of finishes on a cliffhanger and I'm, you know i think it was maybe 18 or 19 when it came out so i was like yeah yeah give me a second i want to find out what happens and now i'm like they kind of told the story though didn't they they told the mm-hmm. story they needed to tell this the story was because story whether or not Christopher and, and the rest of the aliens come back at the end is, is sort of irrelevant to that story. So unless they find something else sort of poignant to say, yeah, it kind of should be left alone, I think. That being said, if they do bring out District 10, I am absolutely <laughs> on my way to the cinema. I will bet my 100%. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I know that our, our time is a little bit uh, limited, unfortunately. Is there anything else that you want to discuss anything, whether it's favorite scenes, things that we haven't mentioned um, about the film. I, I, you know, I think one one of the things that that struck me was uh, how good the creature design was, and I think oh, that yeah. helps with the sort of ground in it because I think it's it's really easy to have just sort of generic humanoid aliens, and and a lot of a lot of sci-fi has that. Uh, but it can also be difficult to really relate to characters if they're too unhuman. And I, I think it nails it. It nails it right in the middle. It's it's they're 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 alien enough that we believe that they're truly alien. Just human enough. I think it's just the eyes. There's enough human in the eyes for them to hope and for us to really care for them. I, I think something as simple as that can make a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, leave it to the geniuses at the uh, the way to workshop, right? You know, Peter Jackson's uh, uh, special effects team, right? I mean, uh, he some really really brilliant stuff that they were able to do. And you're right, the just the 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 eyes and just um, just even just the looks that uh, just like the silent conversations that they would have uh, and uh, exchanges. It, it was it, it, yeah, wonderful special effects. And it wasn't over the top. It didn't ever feel very cartoony at all it felt again even though very very uh i mean it was a 30 million dollar film so a lot of money went into these special effects but i don't think you're ever really bludgeoned with it it's still these creatures are still grounded in something that felt believable within this world at least to me anyway you know you do have like these aliens that do kind of have like this exoskeleton they do kind of have, have like the kind of like this uh a uh, shrimp or like crab like kind of appearance to it, but it works, I think. It does. Although I I did hear now, if, if you have any South African viewers, they might be able to correct this if I'm wrong. But I, I did hear that 
the reason that they were called prawns is because in South Africa, that is a sort of colloquialism for cockroaches, which then sort of makes even more sense. It's even more of a derogatory term when, yeah. when they, they call them that. Um, yeah. Again, someone will correct me if that's wrong, but I, I did hear that somewhere. You're probably right. I, I mean, I we're gonna roll with it until until I receive uh, an email or uh, or something from somebody <laughs> from South Africa saying you guys are totally wrong. This is what it what it's all about. Um, Lindsay, I've really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. I do want to um, give you the floor. Uh, I know you said you've got another another novel coming out. What is the what is the date for that? It is the second of June. Is the release date for the Heart of Pangaea. What other type of films are are you big like movie fan? Do you like are you are you big into into movies? Yeah, I, to be honest, I think that's where my sort of you know my, my inspiration to to write that specific books that I've written sort of stemmed from you know paleontology and whatnot. But I think my inspiration to to write at all really initially came from from movies and, and just um. That, that sort of ability to just, just tell a story. I, I think that's, that's quite fascinating that we can do that. And I think I've got quite an eclectic taste in movies, um, including some awful movies, which I love. Love to do an Armageddon. I've done Armageddon before. Um, I've not covered Armageddon on here, but, you know, the, the hero of Armageddon has a wonderful, wonderful uh, surname on that. Do you, do you know uh, to Bruce Willis's character? In the movie of Armageddon, do you know what his name is? Oh shit! No, I should. Um, it's it's Harry Stamper, as a matter of fact. Oh, oh so as so as. <laughs> yeah, 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 yep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, shit. If you ever want to come back, I am not opposed to taking a take a revisiting Armageddon. I haven't seen that movie in about twenty plus years, but never Absolutely. opposed to it. Absolutely, that movie is appallingly bad, and I love it. <laughs> I'm a big. I, I too, I'm a big fan of. Of you know whether it's a good movie, whether it's a bad movie, I I'll watch just about anything. And sometimes the more dreadful it is, the better. But it ha- there there has to be a certain level of dreadful. I mean, I can also just watch just movies that are bad, top to bottom, that don't really have any redeeming factors about them. But I do I do love me some really bad popcorn movies that that they, they tried so hard and they just didn't stick the landing or it's just so over the top and ridiculous. And there was this movie that came out, I don't know, maybe 10, 15, actually it probably was about 20 years ago, but it was, uh, it was like a, it was a street fighter movie, but it was like, it was like a sequel street fighter, but it was like street fighter, the rise of Chun Li. And it's not a good movie. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> I think it has like Kristen Kruk in it and uh, a couple other actors in it. And it's it's dreadful. It's really bad. But if it's on if it's on television, I'm gonna watch it. I'm like, oh well, this movie's on, so my my Saturday's ruined for the next ninety minutes. You know, you can you can call whatever, but I've I've got a date with this piece of shit. So um, yeah, absolutely. I think that there there are a good number of Fast and the Furious movies, particularly the early ones that that fall into that category for me. I'm like, I, I watch it. And I'm like, I know it's terrible. I know it's awful, but. But I'm gonna watch it again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tokyo Drift, I think, was my my go to. Uh, Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, Lindsay, I can't stress enough. This was it was a pleasure getting to uh, to meet you. I'm really looking forward to checking out your work. Like I said, it's right in kind of my uh, my uh, my wheelhouse, as they say. I've been, I've been just 
throwing out like cliche after cliche, but this is uh, something that I'm really looking forward to. But in all seriousness, I would love to have you back. And whether it's Armageddon or a good film or 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 Armageddon, a bad film, uh, the, the, the two the, the, the two sides of the, the Armageddon coin, it, it's both a, a wonderful film and a wonderfully dreadful film at the same time. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you uh, um, how can uh, how can our listeners find you? Uh, yeah, so my um, dominant way of sort of keeping in touch with people is on my Facebook page. Um, it's, it's simply Lindsay Kinsella dash author. Um, and yeah, that's that's my, my sort of primary way of keeping in touch. I do have Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, all of which I am terrible at. So I don't, <laughs> I don't have a huge following on those because I don't really know how to use them. Um, but yeah, yeah, hit me up on Facebook. Sounds good. Lindsay, thank you very much. Perfect. Thank you. It was, uh, yeah, this has been fun. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. You take care, buddy. Once again, thank you very much to Lindsay for joining us on the podcast. Again, definitely uh, check out his new his new novel. We're going to have links in the show notes where you can where you can find it. And seeing that this episode is publishing on June 2nd, his new novel is available now. But that's all I've got for you this week. So thank you very much to everybody who listens to the podcast. We will be back again next week, but in the interim, do me a favor, hop over to stampercinema.com and leave a review, or you can leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, for example. And if you are new to the show, please subscribe, tell your friends, rate, review, all that fun stuff. And we'll see you next time on another episode of Stamper Cinema. Cinema.